Hey, this is Jewel Bejavarpu, and you're listening to the Fertility Life Coach Podcast, episode 28. Welcome to the Fertility Life Coach Podcast, a show for smart, type A millennial women who want to get pregnant without the emotional roller coaster. If you want to learn how coaching can relieve stress and balance your hormones, then this is the show for you. I am your host, Jewel Bejavarpu, and I am an infertility and IVF warrior, as well as a certified life and holistic health coach. Are you ready? Let's go. Hello, my friends. Welcome to this week's podcast episode. I am so excited to have Casey, who is a former fertility nurse turned fertility coach on this week. She is also a client of mine because, why? Well, yes, I do offer um, mentorship, business and coaching mentorship to other fertility coaches who are just getting started in their business and need some guidance, and need some support. And I just help them get off the ground running so they don't have to like figure it all out like I did. So Casey, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast this week. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to be here with you. Yeah. So like, tell us all about yourself and like your, like, I think pretty unique experiences. Yeah, of course. So my name is Casey and I am a registered nurse. I graduated from the university of central Florida with my bachelor's in nursing. So go nights. Florida is my home. (laughs) (laughs) My story begins with why I became a nurse. So about 10 years ago, This is when I started to develop symptoms of endometriosis, except for at that time, I had no idea what endometriosis was. So I spent years at doctor's appointments before anyone actually told me about endometriosis. And I can't even begin to explain the amount of doctor's appointments that I went to, the testing that I had to go through and the medications they tried. It was emotionally and physically exhausting for me. So at that point, I had nobody to talk to there, you know, there was nobody that could relate to what I was going through or how I was feeling. And I'll never forget the day that a specialist told me I had endometriosis. Like what, what is that? You know, I kept asking myself, why did it take me so long to find this doctor and to find these answers? So at that point, you know, sitting in the doctor's office crying and just feeling so alone, I told myself, you know, I'm going to go to nursing school so I can help women like me, you know, women who need their voices heard, women who need support and guidance and women who fear that they may never have a child because that's something that I've always feared, you know, having the diagnosis of endometriosis. So long story short, I went to nursing school. I started off my nursing career on a medical surgical oncology floor for a few years. And then I later ended up following my passion of women's health by working in a fertility clinic. So during my time as a fertility nurse, I started to realize that there are gaps that these women and couples are facing along their journey. So many times the frustrations of infertility can lead to this information overload and exhaustion. I felt like my role as a nurse at this clinic was limited. There was, you know, more that I wanted to do for my patients And that's when I decided to start fertility coaching. Honestly, I didn't even know fertility coaching was a thing until I started looking into it. And that's how I found you. (laughs) Yes. 
<laughs> you know, I want to provide the support and guidance that someone may be missing, and I want them to better understand their path to become their own best advocate. So that's yes. a little bit about me. Yes, Casey. And the fun fact, two fun facts, actually, I think we should share is that like we're both like endometriosis warrior, endometriosis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love how I messed that up. <laughs> endometriosis warriors. And we both live in Tampa, Florida. We do. It's kind of funny. We had no idea until like into coaching. And then we're like, oh my gosh, we're kind of like neighbors. Mm -hmm. What a world. And it's so crazy because like I was just saying, I decided to become this fertility coach. I didn't even know fertility coaching was a thing. So when I started looking into it, I found your podcast. Like that's how I found you. And Yay. it's just so crazy because like now I'm on now your podcast. I know, like how cool. <laughs> what a great day. Yes. So which is so exciting. And this is like why I do this podcast is because I think it's like so important for other people to like know that they're not alone and like they are like get the information that they need and then emotional and like support that they need going through mm-hmm. fertility. Right. So let's jump in. So many of like my clients have like tried conceiving for a year or two years on their own. And like they start, they're in like that process, like that middle ground where they're like, okay, I think I'm going to start looking into like art, like um, fertility treatments, right? IUI, IVF. And they're kind of in this place of just like, it's overwhelming. It's like, they're not really sure what the next steps are. They're not really sure what they should be looking for in a clinic. And I was wondering, like, as a fertility nurse, like working in these clinics, like, what should they be looking for in a clinic? Like, what questions do they need to, like, make sure to ask on that kind of, like, first consultation with a doctor to go over, like, their diagnoses and, um, like, get the information that they need? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So this is actually a really great question. And this is something I started my first like client freebie on this topic. So I'm really glad that you asked this. And yes, Casey, can I like, can we like post your client freebie in the show notes? Yeah, so people yeah, can get can get that like, mm-hmm. you have the what is that called again? So it's my top 10 questions to ask your reproductive endocrinologist. Okay, so we're going to post that in the show notes, y'all, so you can have this on paper mm-hmm. for you as well. Okay, but Absolutely. continue. Tell so us. The, the paper will have all 10 of them. I'm just going to go over a couple of them now. Um, so yeah. prior to choosing a fertility clinic, you want to do research, obviously. You know, you want to check their statistics, their success rates. You can read reviews with their online searches. And you also, some people don't know this, but you also may want to check with your insurance company. I've heard a lot of people choose a certain fertility clinic over another due to their insurance coverage. It sounds crazy, but it's so true that like some insurances will be like, okay, we're going to cover this fertility clinic, but we're not going to cover this one. So that's definitely something that you want to check out prior is checking into your insurance. If you already have a diagnosis, let's just say you went to your gynecologist and they're like, okay, you have PCOS. So let's just say you already have a diagnosis. You want to make sure that you're finding a doctor who specializes in your specific mm-hmm. diagnosis. So there yes. are clinicians. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, amen to that. That's something <laughs> I should have done more research on. There are clinicians who are especially good at treating like diminished ovarian reserve, PCOS, endometriosis. So you want to make sure that you find one that can treat your specific needs. 
Now, when it comes to your first appointment with a reproductive endocrinologist, you really want to give some thought ahead of time as to how far you're willing to go in this process. So, you know, thinking before your appointment, talking it out with your partner, um, infertility treatments can cost thousands of dollars and can be a huge emotional roller coaster. So knowing your limits will keep you from being talked into something that you may not want to do and that you maybe cannot afford. Okay. So that's always good to keep in mind as well. Now to the good stuff for my actual, you know, for your actual first appointment, I like to think of this as an interview process. So yes, you want to share your history and you want the doctor to get to know you, but you also want to ask them questions to see, is this doctor in this clinic right for you? So you're going to be working with them a lot. You're going to be spending a lot of money in their practice and you want to make sure that you're happy with your choice. As a fertility nurse, you know, I've developed this list of questions and the first question I have here is what type of fertility treatment or procedures does the clinic offer? For example, do they offer IUIs and IVF? Do they perform their own HSG? So that's a hysterosalpenogram where they're checking your fallopian tubes. Do they do endometrial biopsies, saline infusion sonograms? Do they perform their own surgery if you need a hysteroscopy or a laparoscopy? The reason that this question is important is because once you start working with a fertility specialist, you don't want to have to go out and see other physicians for certain procedures if that fertility specialist can do it all for you. You know, you want all of your procedures to be done in that one clinic because it just makes it easier on you. And you want this process to be as smooth as possible. All right. Second is, will you be my main provider or do you rotate providers? So this is also a really important question because in my opinion, as a patient, I want to be working with the same doctor each time because I want that doctor to really know my history and what's best for me. I personally don't want to be juggled from physician to physician because I feel like that's how things fall through the cracks. And I've seen it where certain clinics will keep you with the same physician and some of them will share patients. So, you know, it's, it comes down to what is important to you. And if it's important for you to stick with the same doctor, that may be a question that you want to ask. Casey, I'm going to interrupt you because I think this is so important because I think this is something that I didn't realize that that was even a thing. Like I didn't know that like doctors rotated their patients. And so like at my fertility clinic, I have my main doctor and then I have had other doctors perform like my other retrieval, another doctor performed it. Mm -hmm. Is that what you mean by like rotating doctors? Well, the egg retrieval, it's actually common for other doctors to perform that. And the reason being is because like, let's just say you have four or five physicians in the practice. Each physician is going to take a day that is their day to do that procedure specifically for the aspirations because it's in a surgical procedure area. So for example, like um, physician A would always do their aspirations on Monday. So if your aspiration, because that's something you can't control, um, you yeah. know, you may be ready for that aspiration on a Monday and your doctor only does aspirations on Tuesdays. So, you know, I'm really talking about, um, more specifically like the, um, the frozen embryo transfer, they, they do like a, a trial transfer. So you mm -hmm. want to make sure that your doctor is doing your trial transfer and that your doctor is doing the transfer. You want to make sure that your doctor is doing the saline infusion sonogram, because if they're looking at your uterus, you know, you want to make sure your doctor knows your history and is the one performing that certain procedure. 
when it comes down to the the aspiration part of it, it is hard to control that. So I wouldn't mind being um, a little bit more flexible with that because like I just said, it's totally out of your control. But when it comes throughout the all of your consultations that you do, your first visit, your follow-up appointments, your testing, all the other procedures, I would personally try to stick to one physician. That makes so much sense. And I think that's like very good to know because I, I think a lot of these things like I honestly did not do before I chose the clinic. I just went on a recommendation, but these are like super important. In hindsight, 2020, I wish I would have asked all of these questions. Mm-hmm. So keep, yeah, keep going. <laughs> okay. So next, what tests are you ordering for me and or my partner and why? So this is also really important and one of my favorite questions because I am so passionate about you being your own best advocate. And I feel like this question allows you as a patient to understand your own health and your history and why certain things are being ordered. So by asking this question, I feel like it'll make you feel more in control of your plan if you know what's being done and why. So this can give you a better understanding of what to expect. For example, if the doctor says, okay, let's do a saline infusion sonogram, you want to know, okay, what is that test and why are you performing that test? So having this knowledge ahead of time can also lower any of your anxiety prior to your appointment because you have an idea of what to expect. So I don't know about you, but me personally, if they're like, okay, I'm going to do this type of test on you and I have no idea what it is, the day of my appointment, I'm going to be so nervous and so anxious versus like if I would have asked like, okay, why are you doing this test? Then that would have put me at more ease going into the appointment. Having yeah, that knowledge. And Casey, maybe we should just go over like the typical tests that you do see at the beginning of your infertility journey because there's generally a battery of tests that they perform on mm-hmm. most people. Like, like um, I mean, I didn't get a saline sonogram but I I know a lot of people do, but let's maybe talk about like kind of what these tests are. So, um, obviously it's going to determine on your background and what tests you've already had done. So like a lot of times the OBs will do some hormone tests and things like that prior to them even referring you out to a fertility clinic, but at the fertility clinic, a lot of times they have, um, like a list, let's just say of typical testing. They want everybody to go through And that is mostly your hormone testing. So kind of figuring out your antimalarian hormones, that's the AMH level, Um, all the hormones that have to do with your cycle, like your FSH, your E2, um, your progesterone, your luteinizing hormone, that's the LH. Um, And then they also go through and do just generic testing. You know, um, it is kind of required for them to do the like STD testing and all of that. So um, that's part of like your new infertility panel. It just depends on what your clinic refers to it as. Um, But as far as like the other procedures, the HSG, that's the fallopian tube test. So that's basically where they're checking your fallopian tubes to see if there's any blockage. Um, Have you had that personally done? Yes, I have. I actually asked to go under for it, to go to sleep for it, because I thought I knew I already had from my laparoscopic surgery for endometriosis, I knew I had my tubes blocked. Mm -hmm. So um, and during my laparoscopic surgery, they unblocked one tube, but they couldn't unblock the other tube. So during the HSG, they actually unblocked the second oh. tube with a little bit of dye yeah. and a little bit of pressure. So I was mm-hmm. like, I need to go under because I knew that was going to be like, I'm very uncomfortable. Yeah, I that, that happens a lot. Blocked. 
And interestingly enough, sometimes after the HSG, you do have a higher chance of getting pregnant because they're pushing that dye through your tubes and they're just cleaning everything out. So sometimes you may see like the month later, people do get pregnant after the HSGs. So that's cool that that happened for you as well. Yeah. That it kind of cleared it out for you. So So what they do saline sonogram. I didn't have a saline sonogram. Can you explain that like why they do that and what is that? And like the regular ultrasounds, the intra search for the intrafollicles. Yeah, of course. So, um, with your hormone testing, they always do the antropolical count test as well. So that correlates most of the time with your hormone levels. Um, and then once you get all that testing done, it gives you a bigger picture of what your ovarian reserve looks like. Now the saline infusion sonogram, not everybody has that test done, you know, it is dependent on what your doctor orders for you, but that has to do a lot with like fibroids. It's, it's a way for them to see if you have fibroids, polyps, um, you know, a lot of times they'll do it prior to a transfer just to make sure that your uterus looks nice and clean prior to doing the, or prior to putting the embryo back in. Um, so a lot of times they won't order it for you unless you're having like abnormal bleeding, um, or that, mm-hmm. you know, even, um, intense pain and things like that. So it's not something that they do on everybody right away. There has to be a reason that leads them to want to order that specific test, which may be and- why you haven't had that done yet. Yeah, I did have a hysteroscopy though. So, right. mm-hmm. so that's, I, I mean, that's surgery, but it's basically the same thing. They're, yeah. they're just going in and cleaning it out automatically. Exactly. Yes. And I highly recommend that if you can, I know for me, I highly recommend it to my clients to like push for that because I didn't know I had, I had laparoscopic surgery done in August or last August. <laughs> And then I had my hysterectomy done in February. And in the laparoscopic surgery, they cleaned me all out. They took away a ton of polyps, a lot of cysts, adhesions, all of that, right? And then, so I was like, clean. I was like, why do I need a hysterectomy, right? Mm-hmm. I still had polyps that had grown since then. And I had no signs, no symptoms. Everything was great, but they were still there. So I really think like, even like, I just think it's like a good thing because I had no idea I had polyps and I did. Mm -hmm. Right. So a lot of times they'll do a saline infusion sonogram prior to the hysteroscopy because that's more invasive. And the saline infusion sonogram just kind of confirms like, oh, I see something there. It looks like a polyp. Maybe we should do a hysteroscopy. So that's kind of like the less invasive way of seeing if it's worth moving forward with the hysteroscopy. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. I know we got really in depth to that, but I think it's like, <laughs> you don't learn about this stuff anywhere else. Like, and it's really good to know ahead of time. Yeah. So let's keep going. All right. So my last question that I have here is another one of my favorites. And the question is what method is the best form of communication with you and your staff? So do they only take phone calls? Do they offer web messaging through patient portals, maybe email? The reason that this is one of my favorites is because working in a fertility clinic, I was the one communicating with the doctors and the patients, and I know how frustrating that this can be. I would tell all of my patients, hey, the best way to get in touch with me is through the patient portal. So, you know, not every clinic does things the same way. So it's really important for you to ask and get to know, um, you know, who is your contact person and how do you contact that person? So if something were to happen after hours, if something were to happen over the weekend, you need to know who and how you can contact them. And also knowing the response rate is also good to know. So how quickly are they going to get back to you? What is their standard? 
for example, all messages received by 4 p.m. on a weekday will be returned by the end of the day. Is that one of their policies? So if you leave a message at 3.30, are they going to call you back before 5 o'clock? The reason that this is important is because you don't want to be anxiously waiting, thinking, oh, I'm going to get an answer today. And then, you know, they don't respond to you until the next day. Yeah. And I think it's also important to mention that a lot of clinics, um, and you can confirm or deny this, but a lot of clinics, you have a nurse that you are mainly talking to. You don't really have a communication with your doctor, um, mm-hmm. except for maybe certain meetings during the testing, um, your consultation, your follow-up, but you're mostly connected with a nurse. You're paired with a nurse. And so she's the one who's telling you, you know, when to take all your medications, how to do it. And just to like heads up, because I know I was expecting like, oh, I'm going to be talking to the doctor all the time. And that was a little surprise talking to the nurse. So I think that's mm-hmm. really important to like to mention that your communication is going to be with that, yeah. your main nurse. So develop a relationship because she's exactly. only awesome. And that's why I said, make sure you find out who your point of contact is, because it's probably not your doctor. It's probably going to be one of the nurses. So that's, that's good that you bring that up as well. Yes. Awesome. So again, if you want the whole list of these 10 questions, and we just like went in depth with a few of them, like check the show notes, download that from Casey's website, and you will prepare for your first consultation and know all, all the things. So let's kind of dive in deep into IUI and IVF and like kind of like what these processes look like. So let's start with IUI since that's your specialty, like tell us what does the IUI process look like? Yeah. So it's important to know and remember that the IUI process, just like IVF is going to be different for everyone, depending on your specific needs, um, the clinic that you're at, and also the physician that you're working with. So yes, generally it's the same, but each can come with different protocols, you know, depending on your history. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. IUI, what does that even mean? So IUI is the intrauterine insemination or artificial insemination. So this is where you're putting the sperm directly into the uterus, whether it's coming from your partner or sperm donor. So the difference between this and intercourse is that you're taking the sperm, they wash it down, and they're putting it directly to the top of your uterus where it's closer to your fallopian tubes. So depending on your case, your doctor may order a natural cycle or a medicated cycle. Natural cycle is, you know, where you just ovulate on your own without the use of medications. And then the medicated cycle is where they give you um, medications to help you with the ovulation, whether that be oral medications or injectable. So that's all going to be determined between you and your doctor during a consultation appointment, which is typically after you've had all that required testing done. Because once you have all that testing done, that's when they're going to be able to take a look at your overall picture and say, okay, we have healthy sperm. We have healthy eggs. This looks like this is going to be a good um, you know, thing for us to try. So the important thing with um, IUI versus IVF, like I was just saying about the sperm, is that you know you have to have sperm in order for the IUI process to work because you're putting them at the top of the uterus. They still have to do their work and swim, you know. It's not like IVF where they're injecting one single sperm into the egg. So that's good mm-hmm. to know as well. Uh, the IUI process is all based around your cycle, and it's done over the course of the month. So after you've received your specific protocol, 
Your nurse should be reviewing with you what to expect during your cycle. Are you doing a medicated cycle? If so, when are you going to take those medications? How do you take those medications and how long do you take them? So sometimes, you know, you can take them for five days to 10 days. Most cycles will start out with a baseline sonogram. So that's very similar to the antral follicle count sonogram. They're basically doing the same thing, counting your follicles. And it's necessary because they're looking at your ovaries, counting those follicles, and making sure everything looks good before starting you on that medication. Your doctor can also order a trigger shot for you. So that's, like I said, going to be discussed between the two of you. And that's just to help with that ovulation process. So if they do order you a trigger shot, a lot of times they do have you come back for a mid-cycle sonogram just to make sure that you're ready for the ovulation prior to giving you that trigger shot. Mm -hmm. And going back to the whole, it depends on your history is let's just say like a patient with PCOS, she may need a few more days extra of that medication versus someone who doesn't. So it's all going to come down to your protocol and your plan. So the actual IUI is all dependent on when you ovulate. A lot of people want to plan out their cycle. You know, I'll raise my hand to that. I like to have everything planned out. Oh, me too. Oh, me too. (laughs) Exactly when everything's going to happen. And it doesn't work that way because we don't know when it's going to happen. We don't have control of that. So you want to make sure that you are flexible in your schedule. You're able to take time off of work because that IUI is a time sensitive procedure. So we want to make sure that we have that flexibility with scheduling. Okay. And then, like I said before, each clinic is going to be different with different protocols. The physician may be doing your insemination or the nurse may be doing your insemination. I've seen it happen both ways. Some clinics, it's the nurse, some clinics, it's the physician. So, you know, don't be surprised. Or if it's the nurse over the physician, you know, that may be something that you want to ask prior if that's something that, you know, you may have a problem with. Now, on the day of the procedure, the lab is going to prepare the sperm. Like I said, if it's from a partner or a donor, they'll wash the sperm and it gets put into a small, flexible catheter that will be inserted past the cervix into the top of the uterus and the sperm gets up close to the fallopian tubes. Now, I've heard that this process is not painful, but it can cause a little bit of cramping. All right. So now onto IVF, the difference here is that IVF, which is in vitro fertilization is more invasive and this is a more lengthy process. So this is when you take the woman's egg, expose it to the sperm outside of the body versus IUI. So the IUI is going to be a more affordable route talking financially and IVF is going to be the more expensive route. Okay. IVF is different for everyone, just like IUI. It's all dependent on your protocol, meaning the medications you're giving, how your body responds. This is so, so important to remember that this process is determined on how your body responds. And that may be different from your friend who did IVF or a family member who did IVF. So I don't want you to get caught up on that. Like, oh, well, my friend did it this way and she had this many eggs and she did her trigger shot on this day and her aspiration was this. Your process is going to be so different because it's all about how you respond to those medications. Mm -hmm. And not even changing the doses of those medications like in real time. I know I would go in and I would be like, okay, they do the ultrasound and then they change the dose. Mm -hmm. And so it's very 
exactly. It's very tailored to your individual body and how you react to the medication. Exactly. So depending on that protocol that you're given, the entire process usually can take two to three months versus the IU, like I said, is done in that one single month. So the IVF process is going to be um, is going to require more appointments, probably more testing than the IUI would. And you should also expect to take an injection class where the nurses at the clinic are going to teach you how to give yourself the medications. I know prior to COVID, people were, you know, bringing patients into the clinic and having them actually mess around with, um, you know, needles and stuff like that versus now I feel like a lot of the classes are online. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> yep, they are online. Yeah. We watched the videos and I was like, to my husband, I was like, okay, here we go. Yeah, it's like, I'm, I'm supposed to learn how to do that through video. Like, I'm such a hands on learner. So, having like the little mannequin in front of me to practice, that's, I feel like, very important. But, you know, either way, as long as you're getting that education ahead of time and you know what you're looking into. Um, so yeah. You- Oh, go ahead. And I just want to add that, like, I think for some, for us, and like everyone is different, but for us, the shots were probably the least, can like least issue that I had with IVF. Like, out of all the hard things for IVF, giving me like the actual giving you the shot, um, was like no big deal. Mm-hmm. So I know at the beginning that was like my biggest fear, and like hindsight twenty twenty, I would have been like, oh. There's a lot of other things that are a lot harder about IVF than the actual injections. Yeah, I believe that. So you want to make sure that you understand and that you're following the instructions provided by your clinic. And you, like going back to the point of contact, you always want to make sure that you have that point of contact and those resources available to you. If you're feeling confused about a medication or you're not sure if you're doing it correctly, you know, if it's the weekend and you're like, oh, I'm supposed to be giving myself, you know, 0.2 of del estrogen, but I'm not sure. And you have questions, you want to make sure that you have that point of contact if it's on a weekend, if it's at nights. So you're getting your questions answered. Once you go through the aspiration process, that's where they collect the eggs, create the embryos. You may have been given the option to do um, genetic screening of the embryos. So this is something I always advocate for. I do understand Mm -hmm. that. You know, some people may have beliefs that disagree with this, and I totally respect that. Um, But I personally think that if you have the option to do the genetic screening, I say go for it. You know, this process is an extra cost, but personally, I would want that reassurance that I'm transferring an embryo that could lead to a successful pregnancy. And I think, so we also decided to do PGTA testing or PGF testing, which is that genetic screening. And we decided to do that because it speeds up the process in a lot of ways, the overall IVF process, not necessarily, I mean, not like the time it takes because we're waiting a month to get our results, right. but it speeds up the process because I know that if we transfer an embryo that is genetically euploid or normal, that if it doesn't work, we have a lot more information about why that's not working versus mm-hmm. being like, oh, it's just the embryo. So I thought we decided to do that based on that reason of, of if it doesn't work, we want to know that it's not the embryo and that can easily be determined through genetic testing. Right. right. Absolutely. And it could, you know, bring you that comfort when it comes to doing the transfer that, you know, that you're putting mm-hmm. in a genetically normal embryo and you know, that's, I'm, I'm, to- I'm a huge advocate for that. 
So yeah, me too. And then once you have those embryos, like you were saying, it can take a few weeks to do that genetic screening. So um, if you were doing like a fresh transfer, which is, you know, you create those embryos and day five, they're going to go ahead and do that transfer. You don't have the option to genetically screen them because the genetic screening takes so long to do. So if you're doing that, obviously you can't um, genetically screen your embryos, but if you're doing a frozen embryo transfer later down the road, I do recommend doing that genetic screening. Once you have the embryos, that's when you will start a whole new protocol that's different from the aspiration. So the aspiration is where we're building up your follicles, hoping to get those mature eggs, where the transfer part of it is now we're focusing on that uterine lining. So you're going to be starting a new protocol to prepare your uterine lining for the transfer, which again, is going to be determined by your doctor. Once your uterine lining is ready, and it's the same thing with the aspiration is, you know, you, you going to have multiple appointments. So this goes back to my whole thing about being flexible with your schedule is they're going to call you and be like, Hey, your progesterone was this, we need you to come in tomorrow. You know, you, you have no idea what your appointments are going to look like. So yeah. having that flexibility again is, is to, um, you know, we'll totally make that process go easier. Yeah. Better. And during the stem stage, the stimulation stage where, um, before the egg retrieval, I know for my personal experience, I had appointments like every day, every other day in the morning, early in the morning. And like, they didn't tell, we didn't schedule all the appointments at the beginning. They were kind of based on a day that they need. So I 100% agree. Like that flexibility is key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the same is going to happen with the transfer, you know, the, you're going to have to go in for mm-hmm. multiple appointments. So exactly. something that I want to talk about and the hardest part about both IUI and IVF is the two week wait. Okay. Oh, yeah. So this is a time period where we cannot control the process. Oh my gosh. What are we going to do? So this, this is what happens inside the uterus is totally beyond our control. So I don't know about you, but I love being in control of my own body. And I love to know what is going on in my body, why it's happening. I want, and I need to know answers. So having wait two weeks, knowing that there is nothing else that you can do, you know, it's once you put the embryo in, or once you do the IUI, you know, it's, there's nothing else at that point that we can do. Um, you know, that can be very emotional and that can be difficult Mm -hmm. to let go of. So this is a time where having a good support system comes into play. Um, also the fertility community is amazing. I just, you know, I'm new to this community because I'm like, Oh, I'm going to start fertility coaching. And I joined this community. I had no idea that there are so many resources and that this community is just so wonderful. So if you're going through these fertility treatments and you're looking for that extra support, I would totally recommend joining the fertility community. Yeah. And I think this is where I really highly recommend working with a fertility coach that can give you that emotional support. Because as we know, stress does affect the outcomes of IUI and IVF. Mm -hmm. And we we want you to succeed. And so working with a coach to help you eliminate your stress, eliminate your anxiety. And I have found like that it's 100% possible to go through a two-week wait on IVF, IUI, or just regular intercourse um, without being stressed, without mm-hmm. having any anxiety, with yeah. practically like forgetting that you're even on the two-week wait. 
Mm-hmm. And like, I know that sounds crazy, but it is a hundred percent possible with coaching. So if that sounds something that you might need that support with, like contact me because <laughs> we can, we can give you that support. Absolutely. Awesome. So what are like, tell us some tips, things that you think your doctor and nurse might not tell you about doing IUI and IVF. Like what are like, give us the insider details. Okay. So this is going to go back to the conversation that we were kind of just starting about the emotional and support side of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things I feel isn't covered is how important it is to take care of yourself during this process. You know, I believe that fertility is about more than just taking these medications. It's about taking care of your whole body, your mind, your soul. You know, it comes down to eating a healthy diet and getting proper exercise practicing these stress relief strategies and being part of a support group. Um, you know, I've worked with many physicians. I absolutely love them. I think that they're wonderful. I have so much respect for fertility physicians. They create life every day, but they are very busy people. And I've learned that one of the gaps as a fertility nurse that I've learned is the lack of physical and emotional support from the clinic. Um, you know, the medications alone are enough to make your hormones go a little crazy, make us feel a little emotional. Really crazy. Yeah. Like, let me preface that. Like yeah. I was probably at my worst this whole year while I was on those fertility medications. Right. And I just didn't expect it. No. And that's that's what I'm getting to is like you you're not made aware of that prior. And not only that, but a lot of women may not have the support that they need. They may not know anyone else who's been through what they're going through you know, they may not have anybody that they can go to. So I feel as if having the choice to be part of a support group within your clinic should almost be part of the protocol that you're given. Like how cool Mm -hmm. would that be? Amazing. Like totally needed. And this is where I think fertility coaches come into play is that clinics for better or for worse, like do not provide this kind of support. Mm -hmm. The majority, not all clinics, but the majority of them. Um, And this is where coaches like us can help you with that become that network connect you with other people you know and really you provide you that emotional and mental support right so going back to your question of what are some things that they may not tell you it's really how important it is to take care of yourself take care of your partner during this process you know be there for each other it can be very overwhelming emotionally and financially draining and you want to make sure that you have the support that you need. Exactly. Exactly. Casey, do you have anything else to add before we wrap up today? Yeah, yeah, I do. So I think what I want people to take away most from our conversation today is the importance of being your own advocate and having that support system for you to lean back on. So asking questions, you know, you are not an inconvenience to the clinic. If you have questions or you don't understand something about your plan, call them send them messages, do whatever it takes to get the answers that you need. Cause this goes back to what is the best form of communication? You know, you want to make sure that you're getting the answers you need to put your mind at ease during this process and then try to find a support system. You know, whether that may be your partner, a friend, fertility coaching, have someone to talk to and, um, you know, somebody that's going to give you that reassurance that you're doing a great job. You're doing the best that you can. And, you know, that can really make this process easier for you. Yes, 100%. Amen. So 
how can people learn more about you, PC, connect with you and work with you? So I am on Facebook and Instagram at Your Fertile Soul is the name of my business. And the website is www.yourfertilesoul.com. You can send me a message or you can even follow the link to my calendar where we can book a free discovery call. Um, also on my website, it's going to be those 10 questions that you guys can have access to. So that'll be there as well. Yes. And all of this will be along with the the 10 questions link, all of this information, Casey's information will be in the show notes. So if you want to find out more about her, which I highly suggest, she's pretty cool and very knowledgeable. um, Click on those links, find her on Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. Well, friends, thank you so much for joining us today. It is, I feel like this podcast has been amazing, super informative. Like I wish I had had this Mm -hmm. Um, six months ago before I started the IVF process. So this is for you. If you're thinking about going to do IUF, going to do IVI, or you're being referred to a fertility specialist um, and your OBGYN um, has said goodbye to you. (laughs) So have a wonderful rest of your day and we will talk next week. Bye. If you love this podcast and if you have liked what you have heard so far, I would love it if you could leave me a five-star rating and review. Reviews help others find this podcast and help them get the strategies that they need to thrive during infertility. Remember to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss another episode. If you want to take this work to a deeper level, then I have the perfect coaching program for you. Go to www.simplyjewel.com forward slash empowered infertility to learn more about my signature one-on-one coaching program. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fertility Life Coach Podcast. See you next time.